When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Glass is beautiful. That's what everyone thinks. Otis Eyewear's range features stunning mineral glass sunnies that transcend the boundaries between style, durability and sustainability. The world looks better through Otis Eyewear. Visit otiseyewear.com. Well, I thought it was time to delve right deep into the little black book, the contact list of mates, and I've finally uh, tracked down Australia's most successful ever test cricket batsman, and pretty good captain to boot, I can vouch for that, uh, and he's now into the coaching side of things in aspects of the game. Ricky Ponting, punter, thanks for joining me on the Friday Focus. Uh, how's lockdown? <laughs> yeah, g'day, Gilly. Um yeah, no, things have been better, it's fair to say, mate. Well, Matt's just not here in Victoria. Obviously, that's everywhere around the world. It's, uh, yeah, a challenging time, I must admit. I've worked out over the last 200-odd days that I'm not the best at homeschooling. Um, the the girls, my 13-year-old girl and 9-year-old girl, they're okay. But when it comes to sitting down in front of a computer with a, a 6-year-old boy that just wants to be playing footy or soccer or cricket or golf every minute of the day... Um, <laughs> It's a pretty frustrating thing to have to work through, to be honest. So, yeah, pretty challenging times, mate. But um, yeah, let, let's hope that there's some there's some sunlight on the horizon there somewhere. Well, I don't think any of us can confess that school was our strongest point through those uh, younger years. I remember, what was the technique that Tugger used to do to work out the circumference of a circle? Remind me of that. What did he used to do? A piece of hair, some dizzy hair or something, and. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Pluck a bit of hair out and wrap it around the size of the circle, and that was, and then measure yeah, the hair. But, um, mate, you, you'll get out of lockdown soon enough. In a, in a week or so, you're heading over to the IPL to resume that uh, that tournament in the UAE. I, I, what's your feelings about heading back into that? Obviously, positive in that your your Delhi Capitals are on top of the table. But is there any um, apprehension about heading overseas and, and resuming that one, given what went on in India uh, that brought it to a close? Yeah, well, the first part of that, Gilly, obviously was you know how dire the situation was in India when well, we got halfway through the tournament. I mean, I left home in the middle of March, and I think uh, India at that stage was probably having forty or 50,000 new cases a day. And when you sort of break the numbers down there, the percentages are very, very small compared to their population. But you know, when we got sort of halfway through April and the start of May, those cases had gone to about 550,000 a day across the country. And um, you know, the country just got overrun by COVID. It was, you know, really uh, a really eerie environment to be in, to be honest. A lot of the, the bigger cities were in complete shutdown and, you know, we were in our own little bubbles in these five-star hotels and it just didn't feel right that we should have been out doing what we were doing when the rest of the country was sort of almost on its knees. But So it was a really strange situation and position to be in. Um, so we got, yeah, so we got halfway through the tournament. We played our eight games. I think the other teams have only, they've all played seven. So, um and we were playing some we were playing some good cricket without being brilliant. Um, found ourselves on top of the table, but now we've got to we've got to start all over again. And in the UAE, where obviously the uh, 
the, the last IPL was before this the, the one started here. Um, we made the final over there last last time and played. Um, so we understand the conditions really well. Uh, the interesting thing this time going back to restart it though is it looks like a lot of the teams um, might not have their full contingent of overseas players. Um, yeah. We've seen a lot of the English guys have already pulled out. I think Butler and Stokes have both made themselves unavailable. There's a few of the Aussies that are not going back to um, RCB. And, and I think Simon Kadich also, the head coach, is not going back. You know, this just travelling around the world and being away from home for long periods of time right now is not the easiest thing to do. Um, but I guess, look, I, I am looking forward to getting back there. It's, um, you know, being around cricket teams is sort of where I feel like I, I probably operate best. Um, so, yeah, and I love the coaching side of it because you, you're working in the best domestic T20 tournament in the world, I believe, anyway. I think the, the level of skill and, and the level of play that you see in the IPL is second to none. And, you know, I get to work with some of the best players in the world and, and coach against some of the guys I've played against. So that brings a bit of that competitive edge back to my life as well that's obviously gone when you, when you finish playing. Mate, what are your aspirations coaching-wise? Because it's been in and around the T20 format predominantly, hasn't it, to this point in those tournaments, Mumbai and then uh, and now Delhi, and, and obviously with the Aussie team in supporting them through World Cup or white ball cricket. Are there broader aspirations, more than just that sort of T20 franchise set up? No. Um, as you know, mate, it's just too time-consuming to me where I'm at in my life right now. You know, And that's why I've chosen... Um, a bit of the IPL because it's it's all it's in our off season at home. Um, generally, from there, it's, it's an eight or nine week commitment, um, and it doesn't get in the way of, of the Australian summer, which is the other thing that I, I love, which which is my work, my work with seven yeah. during the summer, um, whether it be big bash or, or test matches. So it, it's I've just found a, found a, a, a nice little niche. You know, one thing I was conscious of when I retired and with a young family was making sure that I had the right amount of time at home to be around the kids and, and do whatever I can to, to be a reasonable father and a, a reasonable husband. But also I need to have, you know, just chunks of time where I'm, I'm um, you know, in cricket again. So that's, that's sort of how it's, it's worked out nicely with the IPO. And as you say, if I can do stints with the Aussie team or another team um, during the Australian winter, well, then that's fine. And that's how it worked out with that, with that last World Cup that Justin asked me to be a part of. Yeah, and I'll I'll ask you about JL in a minute, but um, obviously there's been you know the murmurings of uh, a team disgruntled by it sounds like more his management style as opposed to the technical side of coaching. That's what I've garnered from it. What do you enjoy more in your coaching, mate? Is it is it the technical? You know, you blokes used to sit around and, and talk technique and grips and bat weights and, and, and Mr. Cricket was in there and, and JL and not so much Hados probably, but uh, it, but is it that technique side of it or is it the man management, which was part of your captaincy that I think from, from what I witnessed really developed over time from being a, uh, initially a captain that just did it. Uh, your man management came into it really well and, and grew and developed. Which, which part of it do you like best? Oh, look, I think it's fair to say that I enjoy both sides of it. That technical side of it, for me, is still in my blood, which is, I think, why I, you know, I, I like... Uh, that's one of the you know, great reasons that I love coaching. I can stand back and, and try and analyse and break people down, break people's techniques down, and uh, try and understand what makes them good and what makes them not so good in different aspects of their game. Um, 
And as hard as we tried, Gilly, to get you involved in that little technical group of batters in the and we just couldn't get you part of it, could we? You probably last, last about half a few and then you were gone, go and find someone else to talk to. Mate, I, um, I remember times that when you'd come to me as captain, me vice-captain, you'd say, look, this bloke's gripping the bat this way. I reckon we need to short me a wicket. He's definitely going to clip it. And I'd, I'd be going, jeez, I was thinking about what we're having for dinner tonight or where we're going later on after the game. But anyway, we're each to our own. But well, that, well yeah. yeah. I mean, the management side of it as well, that, that is the biggest part of coaching these days. There's absolutely yeah. no doubt about it. And it's and it's changed and evolved. It really is now about um, developing relationships in your team. And it's as simple as that, you know. And I think um, that's the biggest challenge you have as an IPL coach because you've got sometimes got five, six, seven different cultures, you know, in the one dressing room mm. and you've got to work out um, what makes them tick as individuals. And, um, and I think certainly the back part of my captaincy time was when the team was going through a fair bit of change personnel-wise. So I had to sort of changed the way that it was because the team that I took over I knew everyone inside out like it was it was just play on you know take a take a went and I took over and we just away we went but when these newer fresher faces you know, started coming into the team you know Hughes and Clark and Haddon and um, yeah. Marcus North and Andrew McDonald Hilfenhaus Johnson you know I had to take time to get to know them um, and spend time with them and then work them out and uh, I think one of the big learnings for me was that was the, the old Phil Jauncey um character profiling thing that we did years ago that you know just really really made sense to me that yeah everyone is different and everyone's going to interpret what i say in a different way so i've got to find ways to communicate with them as individuals and manage them as individuals and therefore hopefully get the best out of them you can't just sit down and give one chat to a, a whole group and expect that everyone's going to interpret what you say the same way so that's what i learned from the back part of my captaincy and that's sort of what i've tried to take into my coaching but when you ask which part do I enjoy more, um, I enjoy both of them equally. The, te- the, te- the technical side of it for me and the tactical side now around the T20 game and trying to find ways you can just get a little advantage, you know, one or two or three ball advantage over the opposition in T20 cricket is sometimes what the game is all about. So I love picking the game to pieces and trying to find that little edge above our opposition. Yeah, and, and the, the brief experience I had uh, in T20 cricket seemed like the coaching influence sort of sitting on the sideline, it was becoming more and more football-like. And tactically, you could get information out there, you could observe, and it was such a quick game that you, you had influence. Do you, is, that, is it only that format, or do you see that in cricket now coming in more as well into 50-over cricket and possibly even test cricket? Or is the captain still the driver? No, the captain's still the one hundred percent still the driver. I think yeah, I think you have more opportunities to influence though um, as a T Twenty coach. One, you're down on the boundary line the whole time. You've got a you've got a couple of timeouts in in each innings as well where you can get information out there if you need to. Um, so, I think the one that's probably left behind is a fifty over game. Because if you think about coaching a T Twenty game, the, the opportunities I just mentioned there. Um, with being on the sideline, with having timeouts, you can influence. In a test match, obviously, you've got all the different breaks in play as well, where you know, it's not about sending messages out all the time, but there might be a drinks break, there might be you know, a lunch break. There's break, a lot more breaks in the, in the test match game over five days where I think you can change things up as well in the, in the test match game. It probably doesn't happen quite as much in the 50-over in the game. But, um, yeah. yeah, and you've, you've also got to be really careful with it as well. With the players, once the game has started, the players are out there and, and they want to be in control. You know, if you've given them all the information, everything that they, that they require to go out there and play well. Some, you've just got to be a little bit careful at the, at the first time outbreak. You don't go out there and say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, because it can, completely can disrupt the way that they're seeing the game and the way they feel the game is going. So what I like to do when I go out there, I have an idea at, the, at those breaks what I see for the next 10 overs, but I like 
them the question first. Like I like, I like to ask the question, what do you, what do you have going? You know, what do you think we need to do? And if I get the right answers, then I don't have to say any more. But I'm never going to go out there and say, you need to do this or you need to do that. I'd, I'd rather them be in control of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a solid, very solid approach, a balanced approach. So just quickly going back to that management side, by way of example, I look at a guy like Marcus Stoinis, who has, he thrives in big bash cricket, clearly. He gets himself into the white ball team in Australia, but doesn't seem to have ever really, really well and truly consistently burst through and, and just own a spot, be it T20 team or the, or the 50 over team, with great authority. But then in Delhi, under your guidance he's thriving he's uh, almost a player of the tournament last IPL and, 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 and really relishes it seems playing under you do you do you you've worked with him at Australian level do, do you see uh, a particular style of management that he responds to that, that he doesn't get elsewhere or it, it, can it get that individual um Look, I think it can, I think it can get that individual. I mean, I worked the, the first chance I had to work with with Storm was in that during that World Cup um, when I was with with JL and assistant coach around the team then, and I sort of took him on as a, a bit of a project of mine because he had, as you say, he had glimpses of brilliance um, at international yeah. level, but he, yeah. you wind up he had to dig back deeper into big bash cricket, and he has moments of brilliance, but otherwise a lot of consistency as well. He's been a very consistent T20 player for the Stars over the last couple of years. So I sort of took him on as a bit of a project player and worked hard with him every day, you know, with on his batting, on his, with the way that we, he thinks about his cricket, the way he prepares and whatever else. But, uh, and the more I got to know him, you know, he's he's a very deep thinker. Um, and so I didn't, I was then not wanting to feed him too much. I'd feed him little bits, but then wait for him to think about it and process it and come back and man up and, to me and ask questions about what he needs to do next or how he needs to get better. But, um and so, look, I understand him. Because I've worked a fair bit with him now, I understand him better than ever before. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think it's fair to say that he, he does enjoy working under the way that I coach. But I don't know if that's just the bottom. Like, he's, he's getting good opportunities at Delhi as well. You know, he knows that... I think with Australia, he's been in and out of the side, not really found a spot in the batting lineup. And, you know, I've tried to make it pretty clear to him where I see him sort of sliding in with the Delhi um, Capitals outfit and giving him a, a certain role he's going to play for us. And... Um, and then, yeah, look, he is a hard worker. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he, he likes to bat and bowl as much as, as anyone that, that we've had at Delhi. So yeah. um, as long as I give him some pretty clear direction and he understands what he's doing and what his role is, um, then I just, I just let him go about getting himself prepared. I'll, I'll, only, I'll only interfere with, with players' preparation if, if I think they're bludgeoned and they're not doing the right thing. So that's the way I like I'll sit back and observe, and if something's not quite right, I'll talk about it. But if, if I'm happy with what I'm seeing, I'll just, I'll just let him go and make himself prepared. Yeah, I don't recall too many bludging when you were casting your eye across the training field when we were hanging out with you. But, uh, mate, can you, just on the back of the JL stuff, we don't need to go in and find detail, but can you recall a time in uh, when either you or we as a group, when we were playing, had a, felt a sort of a disenchantment with the coach? And I, I guess primarily it was Buck, wasn't it? John Buchanan, for the predominant amount of, certainly the time that I was there in partnership with you. Um, I cast my mind back to pre-boot camp of 2006 where Buck told us we had to go on this boot camp in this rare break from the game that we had there was quite an off-season wasn't there none of us really wanted to go and commit a week to this mysterious boot camp and I was really angry about that but coming out the other side it was one of the I thought life's great experiences and certainly from a cricketing experience as far as being in a team is that the way you saw it? Was there any other time and, and how you or we got through it? 
Yeah, I don't think there was any other time, Gilly, that that you were around. I, I had a bit of an issue with Mickey Arthur when he first took over. Um, some of his philosophies and things that he had to say to some of our players, I think, um, got them a little bit offside initially. Um, but with Buck, yeah, I mean, we had Tim Nielsen, didn't we, as well? Um, terrific bloke, um, great coach. I love working with him. Um, obviously, Swampy. Swampy was the old school sort of coach, wasn't he? he got us through that yeah. 99 World Cup brilliantly. That was just about turning up and getting your batting and bowling in the nets and getting some catching done. That was it, pretty much. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I, Buck was revolutionary, wasn't he, really, with the way that he approached yeah. the, the coaching role with Australia with a lot more of the um, tactical side of it. You know, remember, that, remember those little handwritten notes that he used to slip under your door after mm. every one day and little things <laughs> that you, you did well and areas that you needed to improve on and stuff? And I remember reading some of them thinking, Hang on a minute, I, I thought I'd play right today, and there's all this, all this <laughs> negative stuff on this paper. This paper. But, um, so you can imagine if I reacted that way, how someone like Warney or McGill or all those guys could have reacted to a, a handwritten note. But um, no, look, I, I, I don't recall that at all around our, around our team because I, I, think, um, I think we were probably a lot more willing to just accept it as well and get on with it. If there was ever anything come our way, it was like, oh, okay, it was, that's what Buck thinks then. I'll make sure that I get better tomorrow. You know, it wasn't about turning our noses up or going to the bloke next to you and saying, oh, but why, why do you say that to me for? Or, you know, it, I think it's a little bit, I think the environment's a bit different now than it probably was when we were playing as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Focus on hard work seemed to be the, the end resolution. Can, can, given everything sort of seems to have come to a head now, do you, you think JL can turn it around? He can uh, regain the, 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 the trust and faith of the team and, and, and they, in turn, can perform and get the desired results? Yeah, well, I'm, only, I'm just reading between the lines, probably like you are, to a certain degree, Gilly. I mean, I, I spoke to JL a few times um, in the last few weeks and poor little bugger was locked up in quarantine in Adelaide, wasn't he, trying to fend off yeah. all this all this fire from different journalists and um, all over the country. Um, a lot of it, I think, really unfairly as well. Like, a lot of the stuff that I read, um, was stuff that's happened a long, long time ago. There was nothing new, um, nothing that come up, nothing that I didn't know about JL, and I'm surely sure nothing that you didn't know about, about JL either. What, what we know about him is he's he's passionate. Um, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve. Yes, he gets emotional. We all get emotional. My God, I, mean, I got very emotional on the field as captain, a lot more than I probably could have on a, lot, on a lot of occasions. But the one thing I know about Justin is he loves every single one of his players as much as he loves his family. And, and there's no, there's no second-guessing about that. I've seen it. I know I know what sort of bloke he is. And whatever he's had to say to anyone, whether it be directly, whether it be in an abrasive way or an abrasive nature, or whether it be with his arm around their shoulder and giving them a pat on the back, which I'm telling you, he does a hell of a lot as well. That's not spoken about much, but um, he does it for with Australian crickets and the Australian cricket team's best interest at heart. And he's not a silly... He's not, he's not dumb. He's not a silly person, Justin Langer. He's, he's an experienced coach that's had a success pretty much everywhere he's been. He knows how to handle people, and I've got no, I've got no um, worry at all about him not being the right man for the job. Um, I think he's done an incredible job with this team over a three-year period, from where the team was, um, with on-field performance and the way that the team has been viewed off the field when he took over, from where to where they are now is chalk and cheese. And you know, yes, they had a poor tour away recently to the West Indies and, and Bangladesh. I've seen the best teams in the world go to Bangladesh and struggle in one-day cricket and T20 cricket. They were their strongest teams on the park. And we had eight or nine out of our 11. That wasn't talked about much. It was more about how Justin had lost the dressing room and it's flying over into performance. But, um, 
you know, I think, and as I said, reading between the lines, it sounds to me like Paney and a lot of the senior players have had some pretty open and honest conversation with Justin over the last few weeks. Um, and he's, they've identified what they believe are his weaknesses. And he, like he would do every day of his life, you know what he's like, he wakes up every day of his life trying to make himself better in some way, shape or form. Better person, better athlete. He's always in the gym doing his running. He's a disciplined guy. So as long as he takes that on board and is able to adapt and change slightly, then he'll be a great coach for Australia for as long as he wants to be. How far can we go in the T20 World Cup? Can we win it? Um, I think if you look at our... And this is I say this all the time they're going into these tournaments. If you write our team down from number one to eleven and put it against any other team, you just think, yeah. my God, that's a really strong team. Yeah, uh, it's a really strong team. But for some reason, we just haven't quite nailed the T20 game yet. I've always and one of the big reasons for me, Gilly, with it, with that is that we don't have many specialists, if you like. Like all of our all of the batters that are in our T20 team, bat one, two or three for their big bash teams. And yep. inevitably, they become their leading run scorers at the end of every big bash, so they get picked for Australia. But we don't have, you know, who bats at five and six for their big bash team every game that's in the current Australian team? None. No one. Yeah, like, you don't get a hit much, you know, do join, you? <laughs> no, but, but they're also not learning what they need to do in that game. If I, look, if I think of the best finishes that I've seen, Kyron Pollard, MS Dhoni, Hardik Pandya, where have they batted their whole lives in the T20 game? In those one, those slots, right? So they, that's just their game. And they'll, they'll move up and down the order depending on how many balls or how many overs are left. But we just don't have many of those guys that are um, dominating the back end of big bash games that you can, you can just say, right, well, you're going to be listed at bat at number six today. And if you get 15 balls, we know you'll get 30. We just don't have many of those guys, you know? Like even Mitchell Marsh has been batting up the order. Stoinis opens. Maxwell bats three or four. Um, you know, all those guys that are in there, Smithy's up the top, Davey and Finchie are the openers. You know, everyone's got, everyone bats in the top one, two or three. So that, again, I think will be potentially our Achilles heel. Our bowling is, is good. We've seen that, you know, yeah. with, with Stark and, and even um, Big Josh was outstanding on that last tour. Hazel was, was brilliant. So he, he could potentially force his way into that starting 11, I reckon. And um, Spinners, Agar's had a terrific couple of years. Zampa's uh, had a terrific couple of years. So I think that all looks after itself. It's just going to be those middle-order roles I reckon that are going to be really crucial uh, over, in the, over in the UAE. Yeah, we'll be watching with interest. You mentioned earlier about the, the bubbles and the hubs and the stresses on uh, the touring groups. Uh, can you uh, empathise with the English group at the moment trying to cast their mind forward to the ashes do you, are you confident that the a competitive team will come out a team will come out and and also who, who wins that australia start favorites yeah look who knows how the ashes series is going to look really to be honest like it the way that things are sort of panning out in sydney and melbourne right at the moment you wouldn't think there'd be if games are here at all um if there, there certainly wouldn't be any crowds right now you wouldn't think um and even if those teams do visit those states you know are they going to be allowed to move on to the other states after that as well. It's, yeah. it's going to be a, re- a really interesting few months there. I, I'm confident that I think England's best team will come, to be honest, um, depending where Ben Stokes is at with the, the break that he's on at the moment. But I, I think they'll find a way um, to, to get England's best team here. Um, I mean, I'm already in conversation with some of the English boys that are, that are with the Delhi Capitals and um, they've just got a lot of cricket coming up as well. So if they finish off, they've just gone through this series now. They'll go straight to the IPL straight from the IPL, straight to, to the 20 World Cup, and then from there, straight to Australia for the Ashes. So this is where this bubble stuff starts to take 
a bit of a toll on you. But and the one thing I want to mention about that as well is what an what an amazing job I reckon the Indians have done with hand, handling their situation. I mean, those guys they literally haven't been home. They they Rishabh Pant before the IPL started had had three days at home since June last year. I think he had three days, and I don't think he went. I don't think he went home after this IPL either before he went to England because if they went home they had to quarantine again. So. Um, but they've just even the, what they did in Australia with one, you know, with a second and third eleven side and the, the resilience they showed there. Um, they they are a, a tough breed these days. Don't don't worry about that. They, and you don't hear anything from them. You don't hear any moaning. You just, no one's pulling out and going home, needing a break or needing the rest. They just they love playing for India. They love the game and they love competing. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they how strongly they can bounce back at the end of this, uh, these two Test matches in England actually. Yeah, and you think a settled Australian lineup should should uh, get the job done? Should we get the the full five tests in? Yeah, sorry, I didn't answer that part, that part of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I, England, as we've seen against India, I reckon if, if they've got the right bowling conditions, they're brilliant. Uh, Anderson, even Robinson was outstanding the other day. Over and come in, did a good job. Sam Curran can can swing the ball, um, but they, I don't think they'll get those conditions. They certainly I hope won't have that Duke's ball here in Australia. So I think their bowling attack without Archer. Um, just looks like it lacks a bit of penetration. You'd think that in Australia, Mark would have probably come back in if, if he's fit, just to give him that little bit of extra zip. But uh, And their top order batting, to me, still looks really, really shaky. I mean, Burns and I know Sibley's been dropped, but Crawley's been dropped. They, there's a lot of insecurity, I reckon, around that batting lineup. So I'd like to think that Australia can win and win, and win quite comfortably um, on our home decks. Mate, just a, a couple of quick ones. Uh, we've got a strong racing following that listen to our station, uh, involved in the horses too. Any greyhounds? You got any mutleys? Any dishies? I've got a couple, Gil, that uh, I sort of scum, well, not scaled it back. It's just sort of the way the evolution of the way it works with, with breeding and things and um, how many you can keep on the track at once and stuff. But um, I've got a couple that. Uh, yeah, I've got one called Ariane that will start in a couple of weeks. So just everyone out there, let's keep an eye out for a dog called Ariane, obviously named after Ariane Titmus. Um, she'll be starting in a couple of weeks down in Tassie somewhere, probably kicking off at Devonport or Launceston over the short course, I reckon. So keep your eye out for her. Um, yeah, and that's about it. I've got, another, I've got another one that I'm just getting um, ready for uh, down in Hobart at the moment as well that's not named yet, but he won't be far away from having a start down there either. So... Uh, not many there. Um, on the horses side of things, uh, my wife's actually ran, has got into a first ever race horse a couple of years ago, and she's had a, quite a bit of success and a bit of fun with that. It's a horse called Need New Friends that Danny O'Brien trains. And um, she actually, they were sitting down at her birthday party, there's a group of 10 girls, and one of them is Danny's wife, Nina, and Nina O'Brien, and they had this idea about going in the horse together for Rana's birthday. So they decided to buy it on the spot that day and then Rana woke up in the morning with a horrible hangover and said, I need, I need some new friends. So that's how they got the, the, name, for, the name for the horse. And it's, um, it's, actually, it's actually done quite well for them. So, um, yeah, a bit of fun there. Um, yeah, but not, not much happening as far as actually owning and um, racing myself at the moment, Gilly. But as you can probably be imagine, um, lockdown, Come twelve thirty or one o'clock every day, um, 
Sky Channel's gone on in the home pretty quickly and, <laughs> and sit back and watch most of the races most days. You'd still be getting those uh, Greyhound magazines out and looking at the same picture of a different dog in the same pose all the way, <laughs> smiling away. Yeah, a little bit of a smile on right. his face, hanging, hanging, out, hanging out the side. Yeah, that's hanging out. And, of course, in lockdown, no uh, no opportunity to get out and play too much golf. But there's some legendary golf stories, Pun, about your playing days. Is there any one particular that stands out? Is there... Well, what about the the day where you, the late and great Dino, yourself, Warney, and Aaron Badley played out at the Capitol? And um, what was the footnote to that? You you got the chocolates, didn't you? Because Kerry Packer put some in. Yeah, Santa. yeah, that's right. We well, there's only the, a few from the team. It was the first series we had here in Melbourne um, under the roof. Remember, so it was like yeah. the day before the first the first game. And as we like to do, relaxing before the game, we went out to just just the four of us. I reckon turned up was me. I don't know who it was. I think Junior was there as well. But we got out the capital just the four of us. And when we got there, all the commentators and a lot of the old guys, AB was there, Tubby was there, Dino was there, um, unbeknownst to us. Right? So we walk in and say good day. And even though I was sitting down and having lunch, um, before you knew, I had a bit of a chat. And then Kerry Packer walks out to sort of sit down and have a coffee with us and have a bit of a chat. And then he's, he was always really proud of his golf club, you know, Capital Golf Course. It was built you know, one of the hardest and longest golf courses in Australia at the time and he was pretty keen to see us cricketers take on his golf course so he sort of said rightio you blokes he actually got one of his guys that worked out there he went around all of us asked our handicaps made the guy go out the back ring all of our clubs individually to check that we weren't fudging our handicaps come back out and said right you, you, you let's see you, you blokes so you can take on my course today anyone that has 40 stable points you, you win five thousand dollars he put us in pairs as well. I've got paired with Dino. Uh, and if any pair can have 80, 80 points combined, that's another $10,000 on top, right? Jeez. So the boys are, so we, we've got to the first tee. We couldn't even get the ball on the tee. We were that, we were that nervous and shaking. We were bending down with all this money on the line. We couldn't get the ball on the tee. Anyway, so it was Dino and I and Badley and Border. Um, so I ended up having... A good day. I think my handicap might have been two or three at the time. I had a good day and had 41 or 42 points or something. So I got the 5,000. I knew that that was safe in my pocket. And then we added the scores up the end. And Dino had had 37 or something. So we were like one point shy of 15,000. It would have been for me. Um, but anyway, we got off and I was the only one that was to collect. I got told to go down to the mahogany room um, that night and collect the envelope. So we were staying just up the road. So I couldn't get down there quick enough. I sprinted down there and met someone, got the little yellow envelope in my back pocket and sprinted back to the hotel. Had a nice little sleep that night going into the, the one day of the next day. But what, what had happened, and this is where it all starts to turn a bit ugly, was Dino was uh, doing a, a, a chat the next day in one of the um, corporate boxes at the cricket and talk, told the story about what had happened. And someone from the Age newspaper was in the room and then they'd written a story the next day on the back of the age about my day at the golf course. So yeah. because I'm an amateur golfer and I've accepted prize money over, over like $350 or something, the most you can win as an amateur back then or something, <laughs> I had the Australian Golf Union ring me and say, you've got to give your money back or you, you'll never be able to be a, a member of a golf course anywhere in Australia again because you lose your amateur status. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what, because I thought it was a bit of a, I thought it was a prank at the start. Yeah. I said, I'll tell you what to do, mate. Why don't you ring Kerry Packer and tell him that he's got to come and get my money, my money back? Yeah. And this bloke, the guy's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. You'll have to donate the money back or you're done. So I thought about it for a while. I rang my manager and as it turned out, um, 
a young a young kid actually playing his first uh, senior game of state league football. A seventeen year old boy from Clarence actually broke his neck on that weekend in his first game. Um, so I donated the money to the charity that was looking after. I think it was Headway or some one of those charities down in Tassie was looking after him. So I donated the money there, and, and then we got on with it. So at least I felt like I'd done something useful with uh, with a, a nice day on the golf course. Yes, well, it's a it's a nice outcome in that you, the money went to a, a, a very worthy cause, a, a sad cause, but uh, oh, what a story! And and just took down well, Aaron Bradley. Saying, that was I, just before. Yeah, sorry. As I said, I had a, got got the the envelope that night. Slept beautifully that night, oh, and then yeah. when I got the call from the, uh, I think it was Australian Golf Union, whatever I said, uh, it's fair to say that I didn't. I was that angry for the next couple of days, <laughs> but I didn't get much sleep at all. <laughs> Well, you, you you keenly take the cash, but I tell you what, you don't want to be you know uh, have a line ruled through you for your club pennants, your, your championship. You know, I know you're still keen to try and pin the ears back there. You were back in those days anyway, but um, uh, extraordinary, mate. Hey, thanks for your time. Um, stay safe, travel safe over there. I look forward to crossing paths with you uh, throughout the summer, mate. And uh, and I know you got. Your Ponting Foundation still charging along, and and PontingWines.com. Get on there and have a look. I did sample a few yeah, of those, actually, thank you. We've got some exciting we've got some exciting stuff happening actually with the wine business too. We've um I mean I've known from the start. Our, our winemaker is a guy called Ben Riggs, who's based in Maparanvale, he's one of the, the best known names in winemaking in Australia. And um he's some of the product he's actually made has been incredible. Like our Cap Sat now has won four gold medals at four different international um, wine shows, China being the last one, New York, Frankfurt and London. Um we've launched another uh, Barossa Shiraz about a month ago, it's called the Milestone Range, so it's the 127, which is named after my first Test 100, Ashes 100. That's, uh, that's been in one international wine show, won a gold medal, picked up 95 points. So we've actually got some, some really good stuff happening. It's been, through this COVID time, actually, it's been yeah. really good for Anna and I to actually have something that we can work on together. <laughs> we, can, we can set the kids up in the morning and then go and sit by a computer and, and make some calls and, and make sure that we've got this little business chugging along nice and so it, it's been it's been good yeah so www.pontingwines.com.au yeah i have sampled a few and a very good drop just on the wine subject uh, i've told the story a few times that for our retirement respective retirement presents i picked uh, you picked up what 41 42 bottles of grange and i got a clock uh, how much of the grange is left it's a ni- it was a nice clock it was a nice clock though it was a nice clock yeah that's right it, it, it still works when you change the batteries <laughs> how much of that wine have you got left <laughs> um no i haven't got 41 that's for sure i'm actually looking forward to the day though when i can get a few of you old boys together and we can actually share a couple of bottles. That's, oh, that's what I'd like to be able to do. Because every time, I think Easter might have a few in your cellar at home, so I'm not sure I've got the full complement of yeah. 41. But I would, I would do a quality test when you open them, mate. But uh, <laughs> they did sit in my cellar for a while. <laughs> hey, mate, awesome to chat. Uh, safe travels, love for the family, and uh, mate, look forward to seeing you throughout the summer. Hopefully, at games uh, commentating, you are the best cricket analyst commentator in the game. Been a pleasure to catch up, mate. Take care. Good on you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to In Focus with Adam Gilchrist, brought to you by Otis Eyewear. The world looks better through Otis Eyewear. See the range at otiseyewear.com. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91